Welcome to Game Dev Story, an interview show about the video game industry. On this show, we talk to industry veterans and indie game developers about why they make games. On today's program, we interview Quentin, the game designer of Decarnation, a new psychological horror game with terrific pixel graphics, a deep story, and a soundtrack by Akira Yamaoka. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. What's your game dev story? What led to the development of Decarnation and why did you want to make this game? Um, yeah, that's that's uh, several questions. So if you want, uh, I'm in the game development. I've been for like 11 years. Mm. Um, I've started at Ubisoft on big, big licenses like Assassin's Creed and Ghost Recon. But really, my interest was more for indie game, indie development. So I left Ubisoft twice, actually. I left first time to develop a game called Narcosis, mm. uh, which was released in like six, six years ago. And then I went back to Ubisoft and <laughs> left again <laughs> to, to develop Decarnation. And what? yeah. What is the major difference for you developing for this major publisher? What was your role at Ubisoft and how has that changed from what you do today? Mm. Um, well, I started as a junior designer, you know, it was my, my first job. And, and you know, a company like Ubisoft is, there is like a, a big sense of hierarchy mm. where like you are like a junior designer and you have like a lead designer above you and above there is the game director. And above, there is like the sort of publishing committee of Ubisoft called the Edito, uh, which has like a huge impact on creative directions. Mm. So really, you know, like there is this huge chain of command. And so it's quite hard to take initiative. And when you design something, it has to be reviewed at different stages. Whereas when I work on something like Decarnation, we are a small team and yeah, I'm, I'm the captain of this team. So <laughs> like the problem is almost opposite is how, how do you make sure you have like counter power, let's say, you know, mm. um, because, you know, being like, you know, master and commander comes with sometimes blind spots, you know, and and can be hard to, to notice your own mistakes. Mm. Do you go by Master and Commander at the office? I've noticed you said it a couple of times. Is this your official capacity? Oh, no, no, yeah, sorry. That's true, that's true. I, I've, told, I've called myself <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. No, I don't have an official name, and maybe that's why I use different terms. Um, yeah, if you want, I, I'm working with a team of people that are mostly juniors. Um, okay. And and yeah and it's not democratic <laughs> like you know I, like i listen to everybody i try and I, I make sure like everybody is happy and is is feeling well working on the project and mm -hmm. and i value opinions of everybody and often i i try to change myself asking like okay what do you think of this design what do you think we should do here and, and this and that but at the end of the day i'm just you know i'm, I'm deciding you know i and if I feel like we should go that way, we go that way, you know. The music in the game is really gorgeous. Could you talk about how you got such talented composers to work on your game and what yeah. the process of working with them was? Yeah, yeah, that's that was a bit yeah, that that was like 
luck or <laughs> karma. <laughs> okay. or um, so yeah, the Garnation is quite a it's it's relatively confidential game in the sense that you know it's a small budget. Uh, the topic and all make it very quite niche. You know, it's not it's not for everybody. And still, we yeah we managed to have this very cool soundtrack with several very cool artists. Among them, um, Akira Yamaoka, who is like a, the famous uh, Silent Hill composer. And yeah, actually, it's it was like yeah something very lucky. Like we had we knew someone in common. Um, who managed to to show him the game, and he was intrigued, uh, intrigued enough to be okay to talk with us. And when we discussed, I mentioned the game. Decarnation is inspired from a book called in English "The Blind Beast." Uh, it's a, it's a Japanese book, um, and yeah, it's a, it's a strong inspiration for the game. And it happens that it's Akira Yamaoka's favorite book. So, you know, for him, like us working on on a sort of loose adaptation of his favorite book was like very, very interesting. So he accepted to to work and and yeah, he was he was very kind in, in doing so. So I knew it was adapted from the book, but I've never read it. I don't know about the book. How close do you stay to that text? And uh, how do you make those choices to uh, when you go away from the text? Yeah, so uh, at first, at first, it was meant to be um, quite a strict adaptation. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I read this book uh, when I was leaving Ubisoft for the second time, and the the book was very. It, it's a very disturbing book. Like I wouldn't advise everyone and anyone to to read it. Like trigger <laughs> warning. <laughs> sure, it's not it's not for everybody. Um, and at first, yeah, I was okay. I will make because you know it's in public domain like you know you can just freely ex- exploit it and, and retake the story so i was okay I will, I will do an adaptation of this in a small video game that could be cool but in the meantime while i was already like a year and a half in in development uh the law on on copyright changed in japan and the book which once was uh, free in the free domain you know it came back to be to be copyrighted, so it was impossible to do like an actual official adaptation of it anymore, and it without you know buying the rights and all, all the all the stuff you can imagine. So like mid 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 run, I had to to adjust a bit my my trajectory, my strategy, <laughs> and so from being like an adaptation, it became something else. So if you read the book, you will notice that more or less it starts almost the same, <laughs> and then you know it. It forks. It branches out quite quite strongly at, at the first front of the story. I'd say. You seem to have your own like cinematic influences that may not, you know, have been timely for the book. There's some Lynchian things in there, and um, mm-hmm. what else are you pulling from? And is it important for you to pull from like a cinematic language of horror? Yeah, um, yeah, m- m- movies uh, has a strong influence on, on me on how, how I work on on games and mo- and mostly on decarnation. It's you know it's a bit paradoxical because when you look at the pictures, you see like you know it's small characters in pixel art. The camera is set because of of how pixel art is done and all. But if you play the game, you realize like that, like yeah, there is some very strong movie influence and in, in themes in way. 
the scenes are, are shown and all. So yeah, the, the, for themes, for the symbolism, uh, yeah, David Lynch is like, he's a very strong influence for me. It's, you know, the way you you can you can watch a Lynch movie and and depending on what you have already in your subconscious in your past history you can see you can interpret it one way or another you know mm. that's that's really cool you know and the, the importance he gives to to dreams so so yeah I, I try to to took that and to to reuse that um, there are other other movies like you know Satoshi Kon's movies. Mm. Um, you know, um, a perfect blue, uh, yeah. which has been—it's not a direct adaptation, but uh, the, the movie Black Swan from Darren Aronofsky is very close to it. Mm. Uh, he, he never admitted that he, he just. But we all know, right? <laughs> but we all know exactly. Yes, <laughs> he doesn't have to admit. If we could see it, I think that's yeah, exactly. enough for him. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah, perfect blue. Really, for for the, for the people listening to us, really, if you haven't seen that that gem of of, of movie of animated movie, really, perfect blue is outstanding. So yeah, that was also a strong influence for me. I'm hoping David Lynch and Satoshi Kon are the perfect crossover for our audience here. Um, <laughs> it's hard to convey horror from an isometric perspective. Did you? But it is so evocative and grotesque. Like, what are the advantages to uh, making a game within this perspective? And uh, were there any challenges? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, this decision came from my first game, Narcosis, which was, you know, a game. It was already, it had already these themes of psychology uh, with a sort of dark story and all. But it was meant to be like photorealistic, you know, with high quality graphics. But it was high quality graphics from 2017 with a quite small team. So when we showed like the, the first the first pictures of the game, you know, like two years before release, everybody was like, whoa, it looks great. Mm -hmm. The day of the release, people were like, yeah, it looks it looks decent. It looks okay. And now people are like, yeah, it looks like shit. You know? oh. yeah, no, I, I'm exaggerating a bit, but... <laughs> no, it looks wonderful, yeah. You, you know, you, you know how, <laughs> how HD graphics get old fast, mm. you know? Yes. And, and so, yeah, and really for me, that was frustrating, thinking, yeah, I've been making this game for years, and he, he goes old visually way too fast. Whereas with Pixel Art, with this render of having this kind of perspective, hopefully, hopefully it stays, you know, it stays relevant visually for a longer time. You know, it has this kind of timeless, timeless vibe. Uh, now, in terms of, of challenges, the the stuff is, you know, how do you create, you know, because you can't move your cam your camera, you you don't have precise facial expressions. Um, and yeah, that, that was that was quite tricky to find ways to to give intentions uh, in terms of mise en scène, in terms of you know setting realization, uh, without having all the tools you could have in a in a three D game. Yeah, that was that was challenging. Where is your studio based? Are you in France? Yeah, yeah, we are in France. We are around Paris. Like we okay. have a few people in Paris. We are like full remote. You know, the the company started in during the COVID era. Um, I was working already alone on my project uh, when it was uh, blind beast adaptation, and yeah, and you know, I'm, I'm giving, I'm teaching game design as well, and 
And I had these two students that were like left without an internship because of COVID and whatnot. So I was like, okay, guys, I will give you an internship and come come on this project with me. <laughs> and it started like that. So you're teaching people so they join your project. That's an yeah, yeah, amazing yeah. scheme. <laughs> exactly. I, I teach you know game design school, you know, video game school, and so I can, mm. you know, spot the the new the new talents. What is the game development scene like in France? Like outside of Ubisoft, what is mm -hmm. the what is the culture like for games? Oh, you know, it's it's a very rich culture, I, sh I would say. Uh, we have a few big companies. Of course, Ubisoft is like one of the biggest worldwide. Mm. And so it's very important in France. Um, you have Quantic Dreams, uh, people who did Detroit, Beyond Chusel, this kind of stuff that are pretty important. Arcane, Arcane. Absolutely. Uh, and after that, you have a, a, a huge amount of very small companies, but that do very, very interesting stuff. And you have a very strong connection, I would say, you know, I wouldn't say like, it's like a family. It's not like that either, yeah. but you know, like, you know, <laughs> we, we know each other quite a lot. Uh, you know, France is like, it's not a huge country and still we have quite, quite rich production in indie gaming. So yeah, that's, that's, that's very pleasing to be part of this, of this community. So you feel like there are resources available there and do you feel like this work will resonate in your country? Is it designed to? Uh, what do you mean in terms of resource? Um, you feel like there's resources between developers and that you're able to uh, cooperate and share uh, ideas. And yeah. yes, there's yeah. community. Yeah, infos. Yeah, we, we share data, we share infos, we 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 help each other. Like for instance, uh, so the Carnation released on PC and, and Switch. Mm. And the company who did the Switch port is also a development company when they were friends and you know they were like looking for for a job for a mission so so yeah they took that and yeah it, it works a lot like that and it's yeah it's very cool glory is a cinematic character but her story almost plays like a traditional video game where you uh, a traditional adventure game excuse me were you influenced by any other genres or games um, for the carnation, like influence from from other games, you're asking. Mm. Um, yeah, or yeah, from anywhere, yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, like the number one influence in terms of games and game design is uh, Liza the Painful. I don't know mm. if you if you know that game. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I played it when it released. You know, it's funny that the game released. So you know. Like the Baneful is like inspired by JRPG. It's done by just one guy. Um, it's, it tells you a very strong and emotional story. And it's released almost at the same time as Undertale. And, you know, and Undertale share all these same characteristics. The two games are quite different, different answers. But, you know, the, the, the premise, the, the, the pillars are quite the same. So, so I, I like to, you know, to, to, to put um one aside from the other and, and and look at the similarities and the difference uh and yeah and liza you know it's yeah for me it was super impacting really it's a very strong and yeah maybe hard game that will you know punch mm. you in the face in terms of <laughs> game techniques in terms of storytelling um yeah and and yeah you you can imagine like the the links we, we could we could do between liza and and the carnation and the Ring Gloria. 
so yeah, that's that's our main main influence, I, I would say. Um, after that, there are all these family of games, you know, like made on RPG Maker, uh, adventure horror game. Sometimes they are like by amateur team, like the Crooked Man, Eve, uh, Witch House, um, Corpse Party. I don't know if you are familiar with this kind of, of games. Of course. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> And for me, like, really, they are small treasures, and they are very cool, but, you know, they are out of the map, because most of them are not on Steam, uh, because mm. they were created in an era where they weren't, they weren't any Discord or stuff. You know, it was the, the era, because most of them are, like, from 10 years ago or so, from when we end the end of using forums, you know, to, to chat, to, to connect with people. And mm -hmm. before the rise of yeah of Instagram and Discord, you know, so I I feel like the, this collection of games, uh, adventure horror RPG maker games, <laughs> <laughs> if if the people listening to us want to to investigate, like they are quite lost, you know, they they were lost in the in the big story uh, history of of game creation, and yeah, I feel that's a bit sad, and so yeah, the carnation is maybe a sort of tribute to to, to this game as well. What do you feel the challenges are in making a narrative heavy? Um, kind of like it's not a it's not like a systems first game. It's like a narrative first adventure game. What what are the challenges as an indie developer making that mm -hmm. sort of game? Um, well, obviously, you you better have an interesting story to tell <laughs> because it will not be saved by game mechanics. Um, I think the challenges there are two. Uh, the main mainly that I can think of. First is how you will articulate uh, your story with gameplay. Um, you know, like video games by essence are gameplay first. So if if a, if a video game has an interesting, a compelling gameplay, uh, the story can be either so-so or good, but a bit disconnected to the gameplay. It's okay. Hmm. The, the other way around, if you if you bet on having a strong story and having a story-driven game, yeah, you better have a strong articulation with your gameplay. So there is this challenge, I would say. Um, and the main challenge, actually, is a business challenge, unfortunately. Um, you know, like nowadays, with the ecosystem of, of Twitch, of how Steam algorithm works, of what... Game Pass is expecting from game duration to to sign a deal and this kind of stuff. It's super hard. It's almost you know suicidal to to make a a short narrative driven game. You know that is not systemic at all. So so yeah, like you know earlier you asked me about uh, French game developers, mm. um, and so we there was several narrative games that released um, in the last two months. Uh, a game called To Hell with the Ugly, which is quite cool. Uh, the Wreck, that is also super super interesting, mm -hmm. and a, a few others. And and we all share the same the same conclusion that like, yeah, you can make a great game, you can have great reviews. Um, in terms of business, really, it's it's really hard. It's really hard to compete with, you know, with card games, with roguelites, with multiplayer games, and so on. Hopefully, um, talking to the developers of the rec too. I've uh, been chatting with them. I'd like to also have them on the program. So uh, that's that's in the works if you're listening. Uh, and 
what would you tell another indie developer making their first game? What what would your advice be? Oh, so I've been doing this for like eleven years. <laughs> I've yeah. been teaching this for I've been for like five years. So yeah, I have tons of advice. Uh, the, the the one the, of course the ones that everybody has heard already, but yeah, I can say it again. It's start small, <laughs> <laughs> like start small, but like don't trust yourself in thinking that you are already small enough. It's mm. it's never a small, you know. It's you feel like yeah, no, that's easy. We just do this and that and add these cutscenes and this and no, 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 no. Everything take twice or ten times longer and it's way harder than than you might expect. So yeah, and and yeah, and fail fast. Uh, there was this Jesse Shell quote saying that you know go fast on your 10 first games because they will be bad <laughs> <laughs> so don't lose too much time on them you know hmm. um yeah you know you know there is this you know the sunken bias co- uh, cost the sunken cost bias mm-hmm. and i think you know it really well applies to video games you know in the way that you know you are doing your game and you are like okay it's already decent but but if I do this on top of it, it will be a bit better. And then I do that and it's a bit better. And, and so on and so on. And it never ends, you know. And and the games that could have been released in two years become four years. And maybe it's slightly better, but I think when you you know when you put the last the last thingy on your game and you say, okay, this game is over, you update, you know, your, your knowledge, you, you you take a way better perspective on what you just did. Mm. than the day before when you were still doing it you know you, right. you are like updating your, your knowledge and, and, your, and your skill at that time so really people <laughs> trust me do something fast do something simple don't, don't try to make your dream game first you know in 10 years from now you will try to do your dream game because you will be ready to do so but at start no go fast do you think someone wanting to get into game development should they just start making their own game or should they try to work for somewhere like Ubisoft before and get their grounding yeah, that's also a good question. Um, depends depends on your on your objective. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to become a professional, I would strongly advise to start with uh, a video game school, and then yeah, you know it's easier to to start at in a big company and then go in a small company or create your company that than the other way around. Um, I mean, you don't need to 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 go to Ubisoft to to become a good game developer, a good designer, whatever you know. Uh, that's not mandatory, but you you know you still learn some process, some ways to work. You will work closely to to senior people who has a lot of knowledge. So that's you know that's still valuable, I think. So really, if you want to go pro, um, yeah, I think that's interesting to spend a few years in a, in a company to, to learn the ropes, and then you will figure out what you want to do. You know. Well, I thought Decarnation was terrific. Can we look forward to more from your team? Are you developing anything now? Yeah, we'll do... We, we, we are starting actually developing um, some prototypes. Um, we'll do something with more systems, more gameplay heavy, because, you know, after Narcosis and Decarnation as a creator, I want to go more on the, yeah, I want to do game mechanics again, you know, because as a player, you know, I love games with strong mechanics, with strong gameplay, and yeah, I want to come back to that. And as I just said earlier, you know, like in terms of business, 
it's also more convenient, you know. And decarnation's out now on uh, PC and Switch. Are you looking at other platforms, or is this uh, are these the platforms? Yeah, well, th this is not our call. That's our publisher's call. Okay. Uh, and yeah, and we are we are discussing. We we would like to go on PC and Xbox, mm -hmm. uh, but there is a fee to that, so it's like yeah, finding the right partner and the, the right fee and, and something like that. And maybe on mobile too. You know, the the game has very simple controls. Uh, it's not too demanding in terms of configuration, in terms of hardware. So yeah, it would be super cool to have it on on mobile. Well, thank you so much, Quinn. It's been a pleasure and I uh, greatly enjoyed your game. So uh, anyone who likes Yam Yamakoa uh, soundtracks or uh, horror or Lynchian themes, I think you'd find a lot here. <laughs>